Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail... The legal battle to stop the Department of Conservation going ahead with its planned cull of Himalayan tar has made it to the High Court in Wellington. One country's endangered species is another country's pest, but the mountain goat known as the Himalayan tar is causing consternation for both hunters and an environmental lobby group. The Department of Conservation has been caught in the crossfire as hunters and conservationists fight over Doc's proposed tar cull programme. Everybody agrees we need to bring numbers down and fast. What they can't agree on is how. And that's landed the Department of Conservation in the middle of two separate court cases pulling in opposite directions. So how did these troublesome ungulates come to be here in the first place? How have we dealt with them over the years? And why are they spelt with a rogue H in the middle of their name? Yeah, we actually know the answer to that last one. It's uh, Nepalese name. As for the others... I went to Neil Wallace, who's a reporter with NZ Father. So it's uh, like a small goat, or like a goat rather, quite a, a bushy mane. They're incredibly athletic and uh, nimble, uh, living up in, up in the most harshest of environments you could ever imagine. And uh, if you see a bull looking over a rocky outcrop with a big set of antlers and the, the bushy mane, and uh, it's, it is quite an astounding sight. I feel like you're almost underselling them a little bit here, Neil. The mane is magnificent. It looks kind of like a goat that's been interbred with Mufasa's mane from the Lion King, doesn't it? Yeah, actually, actually that's, that's a good way to put it. And uh, I, know I've, I know a couple of people who go hunting them and they say when you see them in the wild, it's just, it is really quite an outstanding thing to see. The interesting point here is that they're actually an endangered animal. The New Zealand herd is actually one of the only herds in the world you can hunt because they're actually uh, in the native home of the Himalayas. They're falling in number. Tell me a bit about that, Neil. So whereabouts do they come from and how did they find their way here? They're from the Himalayas. In the early years, obviously, with the uh, spread of the British, etc., they took some back to England and um, they were gifted to us by the Duke of Bedford in uh, 1904 and there's another shipment of five years later and they were gifted to New Zealand and uh, there was 14 released in total in the Mount Cook area and uh, without any natural predators like a lot of uh, introduced animals to New Zealand or things we do and do not want, uh, they spread quite uh, widely throughout the Southern Alps. Whereabouts do they live now? Is it sort of still contained to that general kind of region? There's the Iraqi Mount Cook, um, Mount Aspiring and Westland National Parks and uh, and the areas adjacent, the um, other you know, areas outside the national parks adjacent to that. So in this sort of that um, central South Island, South West area of South Island. Tar are survivors. They have these funky digestive systems, which mean they can eat a huge range of plants. And this basically means the only limitations on their spread are access to water and their own reproductive rate. But they're still an invasive species, and like many invasive species, they can properly mess up an ecosystem. Forest and Birds' Nikki Snowyink says the impact of tar on native vegetation is huge. They are what we call ungulates, grazing animals in the same sort of family as um, um, deer and chamois and all those other animals that, that graze. And in the Himalayas where they come from, the plant life is completely different to what we have here in New Zealand and the native vegetation here in New Zealand is not adapted to this kind of browsing. Um, unlike in the Himalayas, New Zealand plants don't have any sort of defence mechanisms like toxins or anything like that, natural toxins, to discourage tar from eating them. And in the national, the national parks have been set aside to 
protect and preserve native species, that's plants and animals. And there's, there's, that's the whole ecosystem inside the, the national parks. And there's a lot of dependency between native animals and the plant life that lives in there. For example, Kia, the mountain parrot, which is um, uh, you know, a, a species in, in free fall, really, in terms of numbers out there, it, it's known to graze on around about 200 species that uh, exist out there, so it has a relationship. It, e it eats 200 different things out there in the national park. So there is direct competition between care and these animals for food. So, yeah, with lots and lots of tar out there, they're basically munching their way through our ecosystems, potentially to a point of no return. And we'll hear more from Nikki later because Forest and Bird also has a big part to play in this story. So how have we managed the spread of tar over the years? Here's Neil Wallace. They were classified as a pest and there were some aerial hunting pre-70s. In the 70s they hunted for their meat and uh, so that kept the pressure on them and they actually numbers fell quite dramatically. But that was economically marginal and when that ended uh, the trade collapsed in the, in the early 80s and uh, numbers thrived again. This led to the 1993 Himalayan Tar Control Plan. Under that, the Conservation Department of Conservation, as well as, as it was then, aimed to keep numbers below 10,000 and to keep it confined into uh, its, its current its range at that time. Hunting tar has historically been viewed as a pest control issue, but that's changed a bit in recent years. They're big, impressive animals, and trophy hunters, both here and abroad, are willing to spend tens of thousands to kill one on a hunting mission, often with complimentary, slickly produced movies documenting the hunt, like this one from YouTuber Lake Fork Guy. So see the light, just want to aim this quartering kind of to us? Yeah. Just wide on that. Front right leg. Front right leg, yeah. Camera squeeze. Killed him. Got him. Killed him dead. Oh my gosh. Dude. Tar down, brother. Wait. Uh, no, I think I'd have seen him rolling down. He's rolling? That's a nice tar. <laughs> and that cash has turned commercial tar hunting into a pretty big industry. Here's Neil Wallace again. Numbers I've heard are variously between 50 and $100 million business. I do know um, heli the helicopter company on the west coast uh, each year flies a thousand hunters into the uh, into the Alps to go hunting and of course uh, you perhaps don't see them uh, because they get flown into remote huts and, and bivvies and whatnot and in, in, in the backcountry where people just do not see the hunters coming in and like you do other tourists. Being the only available herd that can be hunted in the world it's uh, certainly is an attraction that uh, you, I don't think you can downplay the economic impact. Um, the quantum may be question but uh, it certainly is significant. So we're in, um, we're kind of in a situation are we where a non-native species was introduced, it's not too flash for New Zealand and so we want to control those numbers and now an industry has sprung up around it which is actually quite valuable so we kind of want to strike a balance between not having so many tar in New Zealand that they overrun the area but having enough to maintain this um, tar economy, I guess. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, hunters agree that numbers need to be controlled. I think everyone agrees. Um, you know, Doc certainly wants to control, and that's understandable, and I think they're quite right. And, and, uh, but hunters certainly do not dispute the need to control numbers. It's a matter of how you do it and also the quantum of what you take. Hunters are saying that uh, 
Coles up to date, there's been about 18,000 killed in the last three years. They say a big percentage of that has been young tar and females, and they're worried that the, the viability of the herd may be uh, brought into question because of that heavy cull on females. Why is it worse to cull females than males? Well, uh, yeah, fewer females for breeding. So um, lots, of, lots of males chasing, running around chasing the females, but there's not as many females out there, and they only have one, one offspring a year. So um, it's a, you know, it takes a while to, for the herd to, to recover, and uh, they're worried about the, you know, the viability. There's only 5,000 uh, females out there. The thing is, in recent years, the tar population has boomed. No one's sure exactly why, but OIA documents released to Newsroom in 2019 suggested DOC was hamstrung by budget cuts and didn't really try to assess the population for some years. The numbers also rose following a helicopter crash in 2018, which killed two experienced hunters and resulted in a big chunk of that year's hunt being cancelled. A survey of the numbers in mid-2019 suggested there were between 25 and 45,000 of them. Even the lower estimate was two and a half times the number allowed, which is 10,000. Since then, we've had one breeding season and another cull, so Neil Wallace reckons current numbers sit at around 15 to 20,000. So, Doc came up with a plan. The Department of Conservation plan hopes to reduce tar numbers to about 10,000. Reducing the population is part of plans to boost vulnerable native tussock and landscapes. But not everybody was happy with the plan. And so, last week, it ended up in court. The Tar Foundation, which has brought the court case, believes hunters were not consulted about the cull plans. It adds tourism operators are also opposed because they stand to lose significant income, with more than 500 jobs on the line. The Foundation also felt Doc's plan undermined the role of hunters, that they should play a bigger part in bringing tar numbers down, and Doc was sort of cutting into their territory. They felt that it was unlawful and unfair and that they had not been properly consulted and they would have an adverse impact on the guided sector of the tourism industry, and that it should be quashed. They wanted the number that Doc killed to be reconsidered and that the hunting sector be properly consulted on that. Okay, so they thought the dock was killing too many tar itself. Yep, and they hadn't consulted with the the hunters. The decision itself is full of legal speak, but basically dock is allowed to go ahead now and kill half the number it wanted to. This is measured by flying hours as tar are shot from helicopters. Dock wanted to spend 250 hours culling the tar, a threefold increase on last year. The judge in this case reduced that to 125, And the department's also allowed to clear all tar from national parks. This shouldn't affect the commercial industry too much as the majority of hunts take place on private land. But Doc has to go back and consult tar hunters on what they feel the overall number should be and how we get there. Now, the Details associate producer, GC Chang, has been chatting to some of the involved parties about this. Hello, GC. Hi, Emil. This has kind of flown under the radar a little bit because of all of the, well, I suppose because of all of the other news, but it is an incredibly heated issue, right? Absolutely. So the general public probably wouldn't have an idea about how big this issue is, but in the backcountry, which is a significant chunk of New Zealand, it is an emotional boil over. So people are really invested in this, and they're so upset, um, so 
that's why we've seen two court cases lodged about it. On the one side, you have the hunters who are saying they didn't have enough consultation. And then on the other side, you've got conservation groups saying that the past culls haven't gone far enough. So Forest and Birds court action goes back as far as March this year, whereas the hunters uh, wanted an injunction against the new plan. And this has all culminated inside a courtroom last week. There was a, an interesting reaction to this right in that all of the parties decided to send out press releases immediately afterwards claiming victory. It's been a bit strange seeing the reaction. Yeah, that was pretty surprising. So the Tar Foundation said they were really happy because the lack of consultation that they argued, that was recognised by the judge. Um, Forrest and Bird was happy that the judge ruled um, Doc could cull tar in the national parks and that there would be more consultation about that second half of the control plan. Um, and DOP is also pleased because it means they can actually start on that first half of the control plan. One of the um, main problems for DOC was that it's winter and winter is the best time to cull because tar aren't so high up on the mountain, so it's easier to get to them. Uh, and docks already had to push back the original plan by two weeks, so they wanted to start on uh, the 1st of July. The Tar Foundation, though, still has some basic concerns. So the Foundation Chair Snow Hewitson says... A lot has changed since the introduction of the 1993 tar control plan, uh, which includes land use and commercial hunting activities. Tar numbers did come back and did build up, and so hunters, more and more hunters got into hunting tar, recreational guys and commercial guys. Commercial hunters could see there was they could create a business there and have a business, and the department allowed all of that to happen. Is that enough now? We don't know that. We, we, we don't think that it probably is. There's a lot of stuff around the tar plan that needs to change before we can do these things properly, and, and principally that's part of the problem. We now have a Game Animal Council and the Game Animal Council Act that didn't exist when the plan was first written, and there's provision in there for management of game animals and, and for um, mechanisms that can be set up to start to address these things. So that's part of the whole problem was where we're at today. The judge had to make a decision based on a on a tar plan that's 30 years old and, you know, we've got to live with that now and there is a better way and we, we need to be sitting down and talking about a better way. And the first thing we've come out with from this is uh, we've asked the Game Animal Council to broker a deal between us and Doc. Let's sit down and talk about this. Let's find the middle ground and let's find the ways that everyone can have what they want out of this without it damaging the environment. Because that's the last thing we want, was we're as much passionate about the environment as forest and bird or anyone. There's probably more Kiwi tarn to spending more time in the parks and in conservation lands than any other single group. And so they are passionate about that country. They want to look after it, but they just want to have that awesome experience of hunting the tar. Forest and Bird has been very clear about what it wants. The major concern is the vegetation in those alpine environments and also the other animals uh, which rely on that. I spoke to Nikki Snowyink from Forest and Bird who told me she also wants to see better monitoring of tar. We need information, you know, we need to do much more monitoring around the effects of the animals out there and, you know, clearly throughout the plan it talks about ecological effects and managing 
the numbers of animals out there based on what the ecological effects are, and that is the effect of these animals grazing on these ecosystems. So what is it they're eating? Um, what is it they're impacting upon? What, what, what's the, the baseline of um, species that we have out there? And what are we losing? Are we losing anything? So we need much more information before we can um, consider changing that plan in any way. So would you like to see that as part of the consultation process that Doc now has to do? Yeah, absolutely. So much more much more and better targeted um, monitoring of the alpine ecosystems, the particular species that these animals like to to um, eat and what what is the impact on them. You know, we know that they graze on tussock and tussock has been eaten right down to virtually nothing in some places. So, and tussock is just one of seven, you know, more than 700 species and subspecies and um, varieties of alpine plant that live out there. So, and we and then we also need to know, you know, what is the the impact on those plants and what is the impact on the animals, the native animals that live out there that depend on those species. So a lot of work to be done to find out exactly what um, the impact of tar grazing is having on these um, alpine ecosystems. Forest and Bird has been extremely unhappy that for the past two years, bull tar haven't been culled in national parks. So under that 1993 control plan, bull tars aren't allowed to be left there. And that's what the March legal action is about. We have gone along to those meetings and questioned that at every opportunity. Why, why, why are you leaving those bull tar in there when clearly the plans all say the statutory obligation is to remove them, which is why we sought to take some action, uh, a declaration in the High Court ourselves at the lawfulness of that. So, um, yeah, that happened in March 2020, just before the lockdown. So we now have uh, a decision from the High Court last Friday that asked the same question and has come out clearly saying that all tar should be targeted in the national parks and there was no, what did the judge say in paragraph, or 80, paragraph 86, I am not persuaded that there's any relevant circumstance that requires DOC to exempt bull tar located within national parks on the grounds that their culling is any less possible than the culling of other tar. So, you know, he's he's clearly come out and said that it's clear that all tar should be targeted in the national parks. So, for our our challenge, it's fair to say that we're considering that now because he's come out quite clearly stating that all tar sh- should be targeted and that, that is one of the points in our declaration. So we are reconsidering what to do with that now. Okay, so you're still in the process of deciding where to go with that court action. Yep, yep you haven't you haven't dropped you haven't dropped it yet, but you're you're considering. Yep, we're considering having a discussion. If Forestenberg decides to drop the court action, that's great news for Doc, because fighting two court cases at the same time is very time consuming, and Doc has made it clear repeatedly that they just want to get on with the culling. Thanks, GC. And meanwhile, Neil Wallace reckons the key to solving this issue is revamping the 1993 plan for the modern day. My reading, talking to people, is that an updated um, tar control plan would would be a a big step forward. My understanding is that they had a tar reference group which uh, involved hunters, iwi, landowners. Um, and conservationists, and they used to meet, meet quite regularly, but they haven't met since 2015. It just seems to be a real breakdown 
and the relationship between the various parties. And they're all going back to the 1993 plan, which is quite antiquated. It's not current. I've had a quick read of it, and, and some of the stuff in it is, is not, it has dated. So I think if you can get some sort of agreement around that, get, get the parties around the table and have, have discussions. I mean, there's plenty of common area in the sense that, you know, everyone knows that TAR agrees that TAR numbers need to be kept at a level, which is lower than what it is now. So there is that common ground. So I think get them around the table and discussion and uh, come up with ideas. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from every podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Neil Wallace from NZ Farmer, Forest and Birds, Nikki Snowyink, Tar Foundation Chair Snow Hewitson and Docs Ben Reddicks. Kakita Anu. Anu.